0: You need Indeed.
1: And away we go. Episode 353 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, July 11th. 2022. It is 7-Eleven Day 2022. Hey, happy 7-Eleven Day to you and yours. If you can't enjoy a Slurpee on 7-Eleven Day in the middle of the summer, what exactly can you enjoy a Slurpee? And who says that nothing happens in sports in the month of July? Hey, we on Sunday night had breaking news in Washington, D.C. sports. Wayne Rooney The uh, Manchester United legend, the former D.C. United player, he reportedly has agreed to become United's new head coach, capping off quite the three-day run of D.C. sports news. There has been a whole lot happening in Washington, D.C. sports over these last few days. And so I, on this installment of the podcast for you, have one of the most jam-packed shows that I've done. Uh we on this show will talk commanders, capitals, wizards, Orioles, and nationals. Name me, a more comprehensive show in all of washington d c sports. Go ahead, I'll hang up and listen to your answer off the air. Uh, we will begin with the commanders who, on Saturday morning, launched a new website, uh Command Legacy. Com. Now, the purpose of the site is to commemorate the 90th anniversary of the inception of the franchise in 1932. But the website so far has yielded controversy and mocking uh, much more than the website has yielded commemoration. Uh, the team has dissed left tackle Trent Williams. He is not included among the 15 people who can be added to the 80 greatest members of the franchise. Uh, this certainly seems to have been done on purpose. I have some thoughts on this. I will provide those thoughts next segment, uh, during which I'll also get into the other thing that has stood out about commandlegacy.com, the mistakes. Uh <laughs> Oh, the mistakes. Uh, We then will talk Capitals. Uh, They on Friday morning made a significant trade sending goaltender Vitek Vanacek to the New Jersey Devils. But that's only part of the story. Wait until you hear what Camp Senior Vice President and General Manager Brian McClellan said on Friday about the trade and what it means. And here's a spoiler. Something big or at the very least something significant pretty clearly is coming for the caps at goaltender as nhl free agency will begin on wednesday at noon eastern we then will talk wizards as we on friday afternoon had the bradley beal supermax contract press conference uh yes the richest contract in dc sports history 5 years 251 million dollars and uh, also, a contract that already has been among the more mocked contracts in DC sports history. I want to play for you some of what Beale and Wizards owner Ted Leonsis said. At the presser in an attempt to move the conversation forward. Look, the contract is signed. We can debate it. We cannot be happy about it. But the deal is done. There ain't no changing that. And so to me as a Wizards fan, what truly matters now is making the Bradley Beal Supermax contract work to whatever extent. The Bradley Beal Supermax contract can work, but what now in order to make it so that this contract does not end up being yet another big money contract fail for our Bullets slash Wizards? Uh, The Wizards, by the way, reportedly are signing unrestricted free agent big man Taj Gibson. And then on the show, I will do something that I have only done once before in the long, storied, and glorious history of the Al Galdi podcast. Are you ready for this? I will talk Orioles before I talk Nationals on a show on which I talk both that's and O's. Yes, off what went down over the weekend. We, on this installment of the podcast, are going to have The oh-so-rare occurrence of the O's segment before the Nat segment. This is monumental. I've only done this once before, and that was off the John Means no-hitter at the Seattle Mariners now two Cinco de Mayo's ago. Cinco de Mayo 2021. What a last eight days for the O's. They are surging. Eight consecutive wins tied with the Seattle Mariners for the longest active winning streak in the majors, a four-game sweep of the Los Angeles Angels at Oriole Park at Camden Yards over the last four days. There is so much to talk about with the O's. The rebuild, my friends, is blossoming Before our eyes, what I have told you for years about the O's, while the ninnies like ESPN, MLB insider Buster Olney have whined and cried about the rebuild, is, right, pain now, pleasure later. That has been my mantra for the Orioles' oh-so-long and oh-so-painful rebuild. Pain now, pleasure later. Well, the pleasure has started, and the pleasure only is going to increase. Big Orioles segment coming up. Uh, And yes, I then will talk Nats. Uh, The O's are coming off a four-game sweep. The Nats are coming off having been swept in three games. Uh, The Nats were swept at the Atlanta Braves over three games over the weekend as the Nats continue to get demolished by the National League East this season. Uh, Also, the 2022 MLB All-Star Game pitchers and reserves are out. Guess who made the National League All-Star team for the Nats? Uh not the guy who is most deserving of being a National League All-Star this season. I shall discuss. Uh, you can tweet me at algaldi. You can email me the algaldi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback on the surging Orioles. As yes, we're going to do some feedback right here on the surging O's. Uh, I on Saturday night put out the following tweet about the O's. "Quote: Few things in sports are as exciting as the young team on the rise of years of losing. The Orioles are that team right now. The rebuild was long and painful, but it was necessary, and it's working. And they have five top 100 prospects per MLB Pipeline. This is just the beginning." End quote. Uh, Tweet from the head coach of Walt Whitman Boys Basketball, Chris Lunn, one of the best coaches in the DMV, writes, coach, MLB is just better when Baltimore is good. Uh, Yes, I agree with you, coach. Thank you for that. Uh, Tweet from Patrick Tracy. And don't forget, the Orioles have six picks in the top 110 of next week's MLB draft. The first 33rd 42nd, 67th, 81st, and 107th picks. I still think the O's are a couple of years away, but soon, soon. Uh, yeah, Patrick, the 2022 MLB draft will begin this Sunday, July 17th, and the O's in that draft will have a great opportunity uh, to add to their prospect inventory. Tweet from j 33 Just hope the O's don't go the route of developing all these players, only to have them leave and flourish with other teams due to the cheap owners not wanting to pay up. Uh, I hear you, Warner J. But keep in mind that an ownership change for the O's could be coming. I mean, nothing's for sure, but I know that there has been a belief for years that whenever Peter Angelos passes, the Angelos family will sell the O's, and now we have this very bitter. Angelo's family feud. I do think that an ownership change for the O's could be coming. Uh, just as an ownership change for the Nats could be coming. We could have both the Nats and the O's being sold over the next few years. Uh, tweet from Mover Dude. <laughs> okay, uh, rights Mover Dude. Dude, thanks for putting a positive spin on this. The organization communicated well to the fans. We all knew what, why, how long it might take setting that expectation gave us something to look forward to and made this more palatable for huge longtime fans. Uh, Yes. Thank you mover dude. Well, if you yourself are a mover dude and you want to be moving into a new home in the Washington, D.C. area, you got to get with Kellen Hunt. If you are wanting to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, if you are on the hunt for a home in the D.C. area, get with Kellen Hunt. Visit CloseItWithKel.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kellen that Al Galdi sent you. If you have questions or concerns about buying a home right now, Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt has his finger on the pulse of developments all around the Washington, D.C. area. He's a DMV native. He lives and breathes the culture of the area. He has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to local neighborhoods and economical development and schools and market conditions and all that makes the Washington, D.C. area unique. And Kellen Hunt closes deals. He wins. He is here for you to listen to what you want and then get you what you want. No matter your age, family situation, or financial situation, Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people. And Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you the buyer. Get a piece of the action. Who doesn't want some extra money right now, given inflation and gas prices? Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing and he wants to help. So visit closeitwithkel.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L dot com. Book your call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. You have nothing to lose. Visit closeitwithkel dot com. Book your introductory call with Kellen Hunt at CloseItWithKell.com. If you're trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit CloseItWithKell.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent ya. You know, for all of the problems that the commanders have had on and off the field, one thing that can never be erased, one thing that can never be taken away is the franchise's history. Now, I know you might be saying, what are you talking about, Galdi? The history of the franchise was erased when the name Redskins was retired. And I get that a lot of people feel that way. But the truth is, the history of the franchise remains. And the history of the franchise will never go away. And the history is a lengthy history. The team that we now call the Commanders started in 1932, Uh, started as the Boston Braves, in fact. Yeah, Redskins wasn't even the original name of the team. The team was the Boston Braves for one season, 1932. Then was the Boston Redskins. Then was the Washington Redskins then was the Washington football team, and now is the Commanders. The history of the team goes back 90 years. And so the Commanders for this coming season are commemorating the 90th anniversary of the creation of the franchise. It's interesting that this first season for the team with the name of Commanders is going to be a season in which the team very much honors its past. And so the Commanders this past Saturday morning revealed a 90th anniversary commemorative patch uh, that'll be worn by players on their jerseys this coming season. And the Commanders on Saturday morning unveiled a website, commandlegacy.com. It is at commandlegacy.com that you, the Commanders fan, can vote for the final 10 people who will make up the 90 greatest people in franchise history. And I say people because we're talking about players, coaches, and executives. Uh, The team every 10 years over the last 20 years has come up with the greatest people in franchise history. As we read on commandlegacy.com, quote, In June 2002, players and coaches who were significant contributors to the team's storied history were hand-selected to become members of the franchise's 70 greatest as a way of honoring Washington's 70th anniversary. In April 2012, we added another 10 individuals to the prestigious list to create the 80 greatest End quote, And so now on commandlegacy.com, you, the fan, can vote on who should make up the next 10 greatest members of the team in its history. Uh, This vote, to me, is a nice thing. This vote engages the fan base. This vote makes for fun debates. There's nothing wrong with this. Uh, However, there are two aspects of this that came to light rather quickly on Saturday morning. And the two aspects are not so good, and they are reflective of problems that remain with the team. The first issue is no Trent Williams. Trent Williams played for the Redskins from 2010 through 2018. He was with the team through the 2019 season. So he obviously was not selected as one of the 70 greatest Redskins in June 2002, uh, nor was he among the 10 franchise greats added to the list to make for the 80 greatest Redskins in April 2012. The idea would be for Trent to be among these people for whom you can vote to come up with the next 10 greatest members of the team in its history. Well, you can't vote for Trent. He's not an option. The options are the following 15 people. Chip Miller, who was a kicker for the Redskins from 1988 through 1994. Ryan Kerrigan, edge defender for the team 2011 through 2020. Kirk Cousins, quarterback for the Redskins 2012 through 2017. D'Angelo Hall, defensive back for the Skins 2008 through 2017. Santana Moss, receiver for the Skins 2005 through 2014. Steven Davis, running back for the Skins 1996 through 2002. Alfred Morris, running back for the Skins 2012 Through 2015, although the team says 2017. Uh, More on the mistakes shortly. Chris Cooley, my buddy, tight end for the skins, 2004 through 2012. Laverne Torgerson, aka Torgy, a player and coach for the skins at various points from 1955 through 1993, although on commandlegacy.com, that ending year was 1983. Champ Bailey, corner for the Skins, 1999 through 2003. Mike Sellers, fullback for the Skins, over two stints with the team, 1998 through 2000 and 2004 through 2011. Joe Lavender, corner for the Skins, 1976 through 1982. Larry Pecatello, co defensive coordinator for the Skins, 1984 through through 1993. London Fletcher, linebacker for the Skins 2007 through 2013. And Daryl Grant, interior defensive lineman for the Skins 1981 through 1990. Some all-time greats for the franchise right there. 15 people right there, but not a single one of them is Trent Williams, who you could argue was a more significant person for the franchise than anyone of those people. You could argue that. Uh, Trent's omission pretty clearly was done on purpose. If I had to guess, Trent's omission is a function of our commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder not wanting Trent as an option to be one of the 90 greatest people in the history of the franchise. I mean, you think about, well, what's the root of Trent being omitted? It wouldn't make any sense for team president Jason Wright or any of his people to have purposely omitted Trent from this vote. Like, why would Jason or any of his people have a problem with Trent? Jason was hired by the team in August 2020. Trent was traded by the team in April 2020. This, to me, very likely is a function of it being known or it being communicated uh, that Dan Snyder is angry at Trent Williams for how Trent's time with the team ended and doesn't want Trent as a possibility for being one of the 90 greatest members of the franchise. And let me make something clear. Assuming that Dan is mad at Trent, I don't blame Dan one bit for being mad at Trent. Trent acted without honor in his breakup with the Redskins. Uh, And this was a lengthy breakup. The breakup started on June 4th, 2019, when Trent no-showed the Skins' mandatory minicamp. And the breakup didn't end until April 25th, 2020, when Trent was traded to the San Francisco 49ers on day three of the 2020 NFL draft. Trent Williams' holdout ultimately was mostly, if not entirely, about money. And Trent wrecked his credibility in his ugly exit from the Redskins in a variety of ways. I'm not going to rehash the entire Trent Williams saga right now. And I definitely concede that the team wasn't totally blameless, okay? And I do recognize that uh, our then team president, Bruce Allen, a.k.a. Bruceifer, completely butchered the situation by not trading Trent in the 2019 offseason or in the lead-up to the 2019 season, but Trent lied, or at the very least, distorted the truth. And Trent used his cancer battle as a means of trying to stick up the Skins for more money, despite the Skins having paid him more money than anyone in the history of the franchise. And Trent's then-agent, Vincent Taylor, mishandled The situation badly. I went through the entire Trent Williams saga earlier this year, episode 236 of the podcast, uh, if you want a detailed analysis of what exactly happened. So, if in fact Trent Williams being omitted from this vote for the next 10 greatest members of the franchise is a result of Dan Snyder being mad at Trent Williams, I totally get where Dan is coming from. Don't forget this, too. Dan and the team stuck by Trent through his not one, but two marijuana suspensions during his time with the Skins. But all of that said, Trent Williams is one of the greatest players in the history of the franchise. Trent, to me, is one of the four best left tackles in the history of the team. Uh, The other three are Joe Jacoby, Jim Lachey, and Chris Samuels. Personally, I would rank Jacoby as being the best, but all four were great. And in terms of talent, just pure talent, Trent is number one. Trent Williams played for the Redskins, like I said, over nine seasons, 2010 through 2018. He played through countless injuries. He more often than not played well. His athleticism for a left tackle was spectacular. To not include Trent as a candidate to be one of the 90 greatest members of the franchise is wrong and also is petty. And again, I get where Dan Snyder is coming from, assuming that Trent Williams being omitted from this vote for the next 10 greatest members of the franchise is a result of the wants of Dan. But Dan should be bigger than this. And we know that he's not, okay? But Dan should be bigger than this. And that he's not is A, not surprising, and B, a reminder of (laughs) just how petty and ridiculous this team has been at times during Dan's ownership of the team. There's something else, though, with this reveal of commandlegacy.com that I have to make mention of. Did you see all of the mistakes on the website? The amount of mistakes on the website was embarrassing. Now, the team has since corrected most, if not all, of the mistakes And maybe the mistakes were a result of some, I don't know, computer glitch as opposed to human error. Who the heck knows? But it was laughable on Saturday morning how, like, as soon as the commanders announced commandlegacy.com, people were recognizing all of these mistakes with commandlegacy.com. So the website features a page listing the 80 greatest Redskins, and each person has his own box with a picture. And the way that the page works is that when you move your cursor onto a person's box, you see the person's name and years with the franchise. Well, there initially with the website were quite a few mistakes. Uh, First of all, the commanders misspelled uh, the names of Joe Lavender and Laverne Torgerson. Uh, We had shades of London Flechther Uh, with the spellings of Joe Lavender and Laverne Torgerson. But there also was this, the commanders had the years of service for a number of people wrong. The website listed the greatest player in Redskins history, and maybe the greatest player in NFL history, Sammy Ball, as having played for the Skins from 1957 through 1964. Uh, no. (laughs) Sammy Ball played for the Skins from 1937 through 1952. Now, you don't have to have those dates committed to memory, but if you have a sense of who Sammy Ball is, you should know that the bulk of his career was not in the 50s and 60s. Also, by the way, in the history section of commandlegacy.com was a photo that was used in reference to Sammy Ball's last NFL game, Uh, That photo was not from Sammy Ball's last NFL game. The photo featured Ball in a leather helmet. Uh, Leather helmets were not used in 1952. Uh, The website CommandLegacy.com listed the greatest head coach in Redskins history, Joe Gibbs, as having been with the team from 1981 through 1992. Now that is true, but there was no mention of his second go-round as head coach of the team, 2004 through 2007. Uh, The website CommandLegacy.com listed the greatest defensive coordinator in Redskins history, Richie Pettibone, as having been with the Skins from 1981 through 1992. Uh, No, Uh, Richie was a player for the Skins in 1971 and 72, then was an assistant coach for the Skins from 1978 through 1992, and then was the Skins head coach for the 1993 season. Uh this is maybe my favorite one. <laughs> the website commandlegacy.com listed Doug Williams as having been a quarterback for the Redskins from 1986 through 1986. Yeah, the website literally read Doug Williams quarterback 1986-1986. Uh, okay. Uh, Doug Williams was a quarterback for the Skins from 1986 through 1989, and he has worked in the team's front office since 2014. Uh, I can keep going. The website listed Hugh Taylor as having played for the Redskins from 1974 through 1985. No, Hugh Taylor was an end for the Redskins from 1947 through 1954. He was essentially a a receiver, you get the idea. A lot of errors, a lot of screw-ups on commandlegacy.com. Now, like I said, the team appears to have corrected most, if not all, of the mistakes. And who knows truly why the mistakes happened? I mean, mistakes do happen, okay? We all make mistakes. I've made a million of them. But of course, it would appear that these mistakes are yet another example of of something that we have seen with our team way too often over the years. And that something is sloppiness. There just has been way too much sloppiness with the team. And sloppiness comes in many, many forms. And certainly some instances of sloppiness are much more serious than other instances of sloppiness. But, you know, the team just doesn't seem to ever do details well. Attention to detail is never a strong suit. For this team. I mean, just look at the last few years. November 2018, the Redskins misspelled Doug Williams' last name. They spelled it as Williams, W-I-L-L-A-M-S, in an initial version of a team statement off the claiming of linebacker Reuben Foster on waivers. The Skins wanted Doug Williams to take the bullet for that move and didn't even spell the guy's name right in the initial version of a team statement off the claiming of Reuben Foster off waivers. Uh, September 2019, the London Flechther incident. The Redskins misspelled London Fletcher's last name. They spelled it as Flechther, Flecther, F-L-E-C-T-H-E-R, in a display of London on the video board at FedEx Field during a halftime induction of London into the Ring of Fame. Uh, This was during a 31-15 loss to the Chicago Bears on Monday Night Football. I mean, you're inducting the guy into your Ring of Fame and you misspell his last name. Uh, Of course, October 2021, the debacle that was the retirement of Sean Taylor's number 21. There is so much with this that I could highlight. Just remember this, we had a photo op of Sean's family being done in front of portable toilets outside of FedEx Field, uh February 2022. The also underwhelming and lackluster reveal of the team's new name Commanders on the Today show on NBC. Low energy, low production value. The name had leaked like crazy over the previous 24 hours. Uh do I have to play the clip? Yes I do. I have to play the clip. Craig Melvin of NBC News. Team President Jason Wright and Doug Williams, senior advisor to Jason Wright. Gentlemen, if you would.
2: Let's not like make folks wait. Let's not drag it out, Jason. What's the uh what is the new team name? Doug, what is it?
3: We are the commanders.
2: <laughs> we are the commanders. The commanders. The Washington commanders. Right. Uh, oh, wow. You don't waste any time there.
4: There it is.
1: Yes, there it is. There it is. So as we have seen for years, the team just does not do details well. And so all of these errors on commandlegacy.com on Saturday morning were not a shocker. Now, that doesn't make them any more excusable, but they weren't a shocker. And it's not the end of the world that we had these errors, okay? I'm not trying to make too big of a deal out of these errors. But I don't get how, before you announce the launch of a website, you don't dot every I and cross every T and double check and triple check every last detail to avoid exactly what ended up happening. Countless people pointing out errors on the website, from the get-go. The way things now work with the commanders, especially by the way in a forum like Twitter, is people are waiting to criticize. People can't wait to pounce on any little thing that can be pounced upon with this team. So you as the team have got to go the extra mile to try to eliminate any possibility of the pounce, to try to reduce the risk of people criticizing you. Like part of the job of the team in launching something like commandlegacy.com, is to avoid the nightmare scenario of launching it and then it having a number of mistakes. Make sure that you don't have the mistakes. But the commanders apparently didn't do that. Now, maybe there's more to this than we know. Okay, I uh, concede we don't necessarily have all of the information. But, you know, given the team's history, I don't think that the team deserves some great benefit of the doubt in terms of what may have happened here. You know, again, attention to detail, not exactly this organization's greatest strength. I am not one of these people who bashes the team at every turn. I give the team credit when credit is due. I do think that there is a criticism of the team at times from fans and the media. But in this instance, the criticism is warranted. A, Trent Williams should be among the 15 people for whom fans can vote to become One of the 90 greatest members of the franchise. Not including him is petty. And B, get the details right, man. Don't launch a website that is filled with errors and obvious errors. I mean, Sammy Ball did not play for the Redskins. From 1957 through 1964, anyone who has any idea of who Sammy Ball is should know that. Again, you don't have to know the exact dates, but you should know enough to know that his career with the Skins wasn't in the 50s and 60s. His career with the Skins was before then. You know, Doug Williams did not play for the Redskins from 1986 through 1986. You can never have heard of Doug Williams. You can have no idea who Doug Williams is, and you still should know that that wasn't right. Doug Williams, 1986 1986. Hmm. Maybe there's something wrong here. I don't know. Uh, I applaud the commanders for honoring their history. I applaud the commanders for this fan vote to add 10 people to give us 90 all time grades for the franchise as we celebrate its 90th anniversary. But the pettiness with the Trent Williams omission and the many screw-ups in the presentations of the 80 greatest members of the franchise, unnecessary reminders of that which has plagued our team for years. Well, if you or someone who you care about has been plagued by the negligence of someone else, do not hesitate to contact the law firm of Paulson and Nace. If you're the case, contact Paulson and Nace. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611 and make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Ace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C., And West Virginia. Paulson and Nace can help your family make difficult decisions, and Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. Chris Nace is a past president of the DC Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the DC Trial Lawyers. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's Paulson And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sends Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. So it is this Wednesday, July 13th at noon Eastern, that NHL free agency will begin. Uh, Wednesday at noon Eastern is when an NHL team can begin signing unrestricted and restricted free agents from other NHL teams. And it sure seems like something big is going to be happening uh, with our capitals at goaltender. Uh, we knew that the Caps in this 2022 NHL offseason were going to do something at goaltender. Uh, running it back with Ilya Samsonov and Vitek Vanacek was uh, not, shall we say, palatable. And sure enough, the change for the Caps at goaltender already has started. Uh, The Caps on Friday morning, what was day two of the 2022 NHL draft, traded goaltender Vitek Vanacek and a 2022 second round pick, pick number 46 overall, to the New Jersey Devils for a 2022 second round pick, pick number 37 overall, and a 2022 third round pick, pick number 70 overall. So Vanacek now is gone, and unlike last offseason, do not expect the Caps to reacquire Vanacek. Do you remember what happened with vtech Vanacek last offseason? The Caps last July 21st lost Vanacek in the expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken. But then the Caps on July 28th, 2021 announced having traded a second round pick in the 2023 NHL draft to the Kraken for Vanacek. Now, before we go any further, let's make something clear. The Caps trading Vitek Vanacek does not appear to be the Caps choosing Ilya Samsonov over VTech Vanacek. Caps Senior Vice President and General Manager Brian McClellan spoke with reporters on Friday. Take a listen to what he said about trading Vanacek, but not Samsonov. Uh, I'll play for you the questions and the answers. Here you go. Why
5: did you yeah. play
3: yeah.
1: I didn't? The trend. Yeah, I mean... I mean we, we were
5: trying to move one of them, and we ended up moving Vanacek. Um,
3: so he just
1: thought,
5: That's it
1: just it worked out. Supply and demand, yeah. So how about that from Brian McClellan from uh, GMBM on trading VTech Vanacek but not Ilya Samsonov? Quote, we were trying to move one of them, and we ended up moving Vanacek. End quote. Uh, this certainly does not sound like the Caps now are all in on Samsonov, and they shouldn't be all in on Samsonov. Vanacek and Samsonov were the Caps' two primary goaltenders in the 2021-2022 season, and Vanacek was the better of the two goaltenders, although neither guy was very good. Fifty-three goaltenders each started at least 25 games in the NHL's 2021-2022 regular season. Vitek Vanacek finished just 29th. Among those 53 goaltenders in save percentage at 908. Ilya Samsonov finished 46th among those 53 goaltenders in save percentage at 896. Uh, Vitek Vanacek finished 17th among those 53 goaltenders in goals against average at 267. Ilya Samsonov finished 35th among those 53 goaltenders. And goals against average at 302. And according to Natural Statric, Vitek Vanacek in the 2021 2022 regular season had a safe percentage on high danger shots on goal in five on five situations of 850. Ilya Samsonov in the 2021 2022 regular season had a safe percentage on high danger shots on goal in five on five situations of 785. So Vanacek was quantifiably better than Samsonov was in the 2021-2022 regular season, although again, neither guy was very good. And Vanacek did falter in the playoffs. The Caps in the 2022 Stanley Cup playoffs lost to the Florida Panthers in the first round four games to two. Vanacek was the Caps starting goaltender in each of the first two games in the series. He was very good in game one, but he was very bad in Game 2. Vanacek in the Caps' 4-2 win at the Panthers in Game 1 on May 3rd stopped 30 of the 32 shots on goal that he faced. Terrific. But Vanacek in the Caps' 5-1 loss at the Panthers in Game 2 on May 5th stopped just 14 of the 19 shots on goal that he faced, and he was pulled after two periods in favor of Ilya Samsonov, who in the third period of Game 2 stopped all 17 of the shots on goal that he faced. So the Caps have traded Vanacek, but still have Samsonov. So what now? Here was more Brian McClellan on Friday with reporters. I mean, I think we've been trying to, you know, change our goaltending up
5: a little bit. Um, This is the first step in doing that. Um, we still got some work to do uh, to fill out our goaltending duo and some further decisions to make as we go forward here. Yeah. For the goaltending, are you looking now at the free agent market? Are you looking at trades? All of them, all yeah. Of yeah. And is it somebody to come in and sort of elevate themselves over Samsonov, perhaps? Or is it more along the lines of what you had, just different? No, I mean, I think we're open to all uh, avenues. Uh, you know, I think it's the goaltending, goaltending market's changing as we go here, you know, day by day. So it's... You know, you try to make, you try to stay in things that you you feel are attracted to, and that might be a good fit. We got free agency coming up on Wednesday, so we'll we'll be involved in all of the discussions about goalies. The so market's changing like hour by hour, basically at this point. Did yeah, you, right. You need to make a move because everything was dominoes just keep falling. No, I know You know, I mean, we stated from the beginning we we're looking to make uh, a change there, and and we did the first step in the process to make a change.
1: All right. So you certainly get the sense listening to that that something of significance is coming from the Caps at goaltender in free agency. Uh, the top unrestricted free agent goaltenders are said to be Jack Campbell of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Martin Jones of the Philadelphia Flyers, and Darcy Kemper of the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, also said to be an unrestricted free agent is the greatest goaltender in Caps history. The Holt Beast, uh, Braden Holtby, who spent this past season with the Dallas Stars. Uh, Of course, the Caps could trade for a goaltender. More from Brian McClellan on Friday with reporters on the Caps goaltending situation. Take a listen to this Q&A regarding whether the Caps are hamstrung by their salary cap situation
4: a lot of moving parts for you guys with, you know, Backstrom maybe going back on the cap at some point, Wilson, everything going on. Do you, would you have to clear space
5: to
1: add a significant
4: contract for a gold tender or uh,
1: do you think you can kind of assign No, it? we can add one right now. All right. So note what Brian McClellan said in that cut that I just played for you. The Caps do have the cap space to add a goaltender of significance. Uh, Also keep this in mind, Ilya Samsonov is set to be a restricted free agent. So there is that as part of this uh, Caps goaltending dynamic. As well. A few other items from Brian McClellan on Friday. He addressed the Nicholas Backstrom situation, which is not good. Uh, the CAPS on June 18th announced that Senator Nicholas Backstrom had undergone left hip resurfacing surgery on June 17th in Belgium and that Backstrom would, quote, begin his rehabilitation and lengthy recovery process immediately. End quote. Uh, the Caps actually used that phrase, lengthy recovery process. Uh, that did not sound good if you're a Caps fan. Uh, here was Brian McClellan on Friday on Nicholas Backstrom.
5: Um, he's had a successful surgery. Uh, everybody's happy with the way the results turned out. Uh, he's getting, he wants to come back to play. His intention is to play. Um, So, it's an uncertain recovery, the time period, so we'll see how he progresses here over the next, you know, time frame, and we'll get a sense. He won't start the season. It'll be a couple months in, and then we'll get a better sense of when he's coming back. Are you operating on assumption? Like, how do you operate
1: that? Well, you have to operate that he's coming back at
5: some point, yes.
1: Yeah, not exactly a ringing endorsement of Nicholas Backstrom playing again. Uh, Backstrom underwent left hip surgery in May 2015. The Caps last September 23rd, the first day of 2021 Caps training camp, announced that Backstrom would miss the start of 2021 Caps training camp due to ongoing rehabilitation on his left hip and was listed as week to week. He ended up missing the Caps' first 28 games of the 2021-2022 regular season due to his left hip. Uh, This Backstrom situation does not feel good. And you really do wonder if this left hip ailment is what is going to end up ending his great career. Uh, This coming season would be Backstrom's age 35 season. And then also from Brian McClellan on Friday with reporters was him addressing the Caps 2022 first round pick Ivan Morosnichenko. The Caps on Thursday night took Russian forward Ivan Morosnichenko with the number 20 pick in the 2022 NHL draft. Uh, He's only 18. He's listed as being 6'1 and 185 pounds. He was considered among the most talented players in the 2022 NHL draft. The reason that he fell to the caps at number 20 was that in March 2022, it was announced that he had been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, He received treatment in in Germany. The prognosis seems to be good, but of course there are concerns. Uh, but Morošnichenko is very talented. Megan Chaika, who was part of ESPN's coverage of the 2022 NHL draft, called Morošnichenko, quote, the most talented player in this draft class, end quote. Brian McClellan on Friday on Ivan Morošnichenko.
5: Yeah, I mean, we we had the medical report uh, from his doctors, Um, you know, we had our doctors examine it and went worked with our trainer, you know, we asked a lot of questions, got a certain level of comfort from where he's at, where he's come from, and, you know, there's still some risk left in it, uh, but we felt... You know, the upside was worth the risk taken there.
4: Is he going to come down to development camp next week?
5: Yeah, we're working on that right now okay. to see, um, see if, how, if we can come in, get him into our development right. camp. How yeah.
6: soon could we try to see him in D.C.? I mean,
4: you know, he's an 18-year-old kid, but he's played you know,
5: pretty high level yeah, I mean, we'll see with his health, when he, when he's ready to go, and yeah, I think he has a year left on his contract in Russia, he has to honor that, so, and then we'll go from there. Okay.
4: It's not for uh, the last one, guys. for
6: the health? Do you think he's probably top 10?
5: For sure, yeah. Top 10, for sure. Top 5, maybe. Because of the other top years? Yeah, I think his health, you know, I mean, it scared people away, or it's, it creates a little uncertainty there, but... I mean, our guys have him as a first-line winger.
1: Well, there you go. Ivan Moroshnichenko, first-line winger. Uh, Maybe the eventual replacement for Alex Ovechkin. Who knows? Uh, To me, the Caps taking Ivan Moroshnichenko with the number 20 pick in the 2022 NHL draft absolutely could prove to be a steal. Uh, Per Brian McClellan, a definite top 10 pick, if not top 5 pick, if not for having been diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Up next, I'm talking Wizards. Uh, we on Friday afternoon had the Bradley Beal Supermax contract press conference. There were some things said that if you're a Wizards fan, you need to hear. You will hear those things and my reactions to those things straight ahead.
0: We're driven by the search for better.
1: So Saturday, July 2nd through Friday, July 8th ended up being quite the seven-day run in terms of contracts in Washington, D.C. sports. We on Saturday afternoon, July 2nd, had the announcement from the Nationals that they had exercised The 2023 contract options on President of Baseball Operations and General Manager Mike Rizzo and Manager Davey Martinez. We on Tuesday morning, July 5th, have the Commanders officially signing receiver Terry McLaurin to a three-year contract extension. And then we on Wednesday morning, July 6th, have the Terry McLaurin contract extension press conference. We on Wednesday afternoon, July 6th, had the Wizards officially announcing having re-signed Bradley Beal to a five-year contract, uh, what is a five-year, $251 million Supermax contract. And then we on Friday afternoon had the Bradley Beal Supermax contract press conference, July 2nd through July 8th, quite the seven-day period in terms of contracts in Washington, D.C. sports. What I want to do in this segment is hit on a few things that stood out to me from that Bradley Beal Supermax contract press conference on Friday afternoon. And what I really want to focus on is what now? I've made my stance on the Wizards re-signing Beal to this Supermax contract clear. He's a very good player, but he's not worth this contract. He's not worth a five-year Two hundred fifty-one million dollar supermax contract that has the potential to become yet another regrettable bullet slash wizards contract. But what's done is done. Uh, Beal, like I said, is a very good player. Uh, I have been a bullet slash wizards fan for my entire life as a sports fan. I want this Beal supermax contract to work out for the Wizards. So now the focus becomes, how do we make it so that this Beal Supermax contract works out for the Wizards? Well, the way that we make it so that the Bradley Beal Supermax contract works out for the Wizards is the Wizards becoming a really good team, an NBA championship caliber team, if not an NBA championship team. Uh, Lofty standards, I know, considering that the Bullets slash Wizards haven't even advanced past the second round of the NBA playoffs since 1979, and that the Bullets slash Wizards haven't had even a 50-win regular season since the 1978-79 regular season. This is one of the biggest problems with the Beal Supermax contract. He has been with the Wizards for 10 seasons, and yet he hasn't been able to elevate the Wizards to beyond the second round of the NBA playoffs or to a 50 win regular season. The NBA is a league in which one guy can elevate a team to new heights or to heights that haven't been reached in quite some time. But Beale, as good as he is, hasn't shown an ability to do that to say nothing of his decline as a three point shooter, to say nothing of of him being an inconsistent defender, and to say nothing of him exiting his physical prime. This coming season will be Beal's age 29 season. The bulk of this Supermax contract is for Beal's 30s. But again, we're focusing here on how the Wizards can make the Bradley Beal Supermax contract a successful contract. For the team. So, speaking at the Bradley Beal Supermax contract press conference on Friday afternoon, were four people. Uh, three of the people were sitting together: Beal, Wizards president and general manager Tommy Shepard, and Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. Uh, and then a fourth person, the owner of the Wizards, uh, the chairman and CEO of Monumental Sports and Entertainment, Ted Leonsis. Uh, he joined the presser virtually. Uh, Ted looked like he was in his living room. Uh, I'm not sure why he wasn't at the press or live, but, uh, you know, that may not have been Ted's Washington, D.C. area house. Uh, maybe Ted was at a vacation house. Who knows how many houses uh, Ted Leonsis has? Anyway, here was Beal on Friday afternoon on What Now for the Wizards.
3: I won't put words into Ted's mouth, but Ted, Ted is all about winning and whatever it takes to whatever the... <laughs> takes for Tommy to make the team look like that. He's all about making that happen, you know, and that was a big part of my reasoning of coming back was his commitment to winning just as well as mine. And a lot of that does fall on me. A lot of it has to do with winning. We win. We attract those free agents. We attract those guys that we want to get. We attract other uh, all-stars like KP, but at the same time, we trust Tommy to make those type of moves and not stay stagnant and, and kind of improve our team as we go. So. You know, all I can do is trust continually what he's done and continue to trust myself, trust my teammates. And we have to, it's on us. Like, we can't continue to sit about it. Like, I'm here, right? That's, it's over with. Like, now our commitment, like you said, DA, is, is to win, right? It's very tough, as Coach knows, to win in this league. Like, it's not easy. So let's let's not sit here and act like, oh, we're going to hold up the ladder. Like, no, like, we're going to continue <laughs> to build and get better each and every year and each and every day. You know, that's what we can and that's what we will do.
1: Okay, so it's very simple in the NBA. If you're not a top three seed in your conference, you basically have no shot at an NBA title. In the history of the NBA, only two non-top three seeds have won NBA titles. The number four seeded Boston Celtics in the 1968-69 season and the number six seeded Houston Rockets in the 1994 season. 1995 season. That's it. If you're not a top three seed in your conference, you basically have no shot at an NBA title. The goal for the Wizards should be to win an NBA title. Bradley Beal, in that cut that I just played for you, talked about winning. Uh, There are, of course, various levels of winning. The goal for the Wizards should be to win an NBA title, and so the Wizards need to figure out a way to become a top three seed in the Eastern Conference. You heard Beal in that cut that I just played for you talk about getting NBA stars to want to come to the Wizards. Uh, this, of course, has been a major problem for the team for years. The NBA, over the last, say, 15 years, has become a league of big twos and big threes. How do you as a team get a big two or a big three? How do you as a team put together a duo or trio Of NBA superstars. And of course, the easiest way to create a Big Two or Big Three has been to acquire a superstar from another team. Uh, No doubt you can end up drafting a guy who becomes a superstar, but that's not easy to do. Uh, But the NBA has become a league of disgruntled superstars, right? Who wants out? Who's unhappy with his team? Who's the next great player to demand to be traded? We, over the last 15 years, have had so many. NBA superstars demand to be traded or want to be traded? Well, not a single instance of that has featured the Wizards being prominently mentioned as a desired team for one of those disgruntled NBA superstars. Not a single instance. So how do you change that if you're the Wizards? How do the Wizards make it so that they become a team for which unhappy NBA superstars want to play? Well, there are no easy answers. Take a listen to this. Uh, This was part of an answer from Ted Leonsis on Friday afternoon of (laughs) more than seven minutes. Yes, more than seven minutes. Uh, Ted, as you may know, likes to talk and he talks in this slow and deliberate way. And so his answers to questions can be long, uh, very long. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to play Ted's entire seven plus minute answer, but here's a portion of a little less than three minutes from Ted. If you're a Wizards fan like me, what Ted said is worth hearing. Here you go.
6: When I bought the Wizards about a little more than a decade ago, we blew the team up. Um, we traded a lot of our players. Uh, we didn't re-sign some of the players, and we rebuilt through the draft. And we had three good drafts with John Wall and, and Otto Porter and Brad and now we have a lot of new young players that we've drafted, Rui and Todd and Denny and Corey, now Johnny Davis. So we essentially have one, two, three, four, five players that Tommy's drafted that are rotation players that are going to earn time um, in Summer League with Johnny. But Corey and Denny and and Rui are really good NBA players, and they've been drafted. Um, we know that the NBA is about stars. And so, you know, keeping your stars is like signing a great free agent. And, you know, we'd love to see how Brad plays with Porzingis. These are two very, very skilled, very unique players. And we think that'll be a good tandem. And then as Brad mentioned, having Kuzma Gafford, who now can be, you know, very, very focused on rebounding in defense and then bringing in a a group of real professionals, real NBA grade players like Barton and Monte and Delon. And um, it's just a a way to rebuild the team while you're participating in showing everyone that you wanna win. And I don't buy into the, you either have to win a championship or blow the team team up and rebuild it. I think that you can improve by having young players take the next step up. I think you can improve by having your players on the floor. You know, we shouldn't forget that Brad missed half the season last year, and it's very difficult to perform at high levels when you don't have your star players highest paid players you know on on the floor and so we're going to do everything we can to get that mix right and we're a free agent away we will always be looking at how can we improve the team and tommy has been given the green light and i've said no to nothing and i want to win
1: All right, so there was a lot there from Ted Leonsis. I found it interesting that he said he doesn't buy into the idea that you either have to win an NBA championship or blow the team up and rebuild it. Uh, You can improve by having young players get better and by having star players stay healthy. And look, Ted's not wrong about that, but the problem is that where you never want to be stuck is in the middle, because at least if you're really bad, there's a path to getting really good. If you're stuck in the middle, that's a purgatory uh, from which escape can be very difficult. And sure enough, the Bullets slash Wizards essentially have been stuck in that purgatory for 40-plus years. Again, the Bullets slash Wizards haven't even advanced past the second round of the NBA playoffs since 1979, and the Bullet slash Wizards haven't even had a 50-win regular season Since the 1978-79 regular season, despite the Bullets Wizards over this stretch having had plenty of playoff seasons. Now, if the Wizards enjoy good health this coming season, then I do think that the team can be pretty good. A big three, to whatever extent this is a big three, of Bradley Beal, Chris Porzingis, and Kyle Kuzma isn't terrible. A supporting cast that includes Rui Hajimura and Monte Morris and Daniel Gafford and Will Barton and Denny Avdia and Corey Kispert and Johnny Davis isn't terrible. But the enjoying good health thing is a big thing. As Ted Leonsis said in that cut that I just played for you, Bradley Beal missed a lot of time last season. Beal in the 2021-2022 regular season played in just 40 of the Wizards' 82 games. He did not play in a game after the month of January. Beal this past February 10th underwent surgery for a torn ligament in his left wrist. Uh, Also, Chris Stapp's Porzingis, major injury history. He has a significant history of knee troubles. Uh, Porzingis in February 2018 tore his left ACL. Porzingis in October 2020 underwent surgery to repair a torn right meniscus. Porzingis this past season dealt with a right knee bone bruise. Uh, The Wizards traded for Porzingis on NBA trade deadline day this past February 10th. He came to the Wizards having played in just 134 of a possible 202 regular season games since the start of the 2019-2020 regular season. And even if Beal and Porzingis and all of these other guys stay reasonably healthy... The realistic ceiling for the Wizards still would appear to be a regular season win total in the 40s, right? Especially in an Eastern Conference that appears to be the best that it has been in a long time. You know, each of the top 10 teams in the Eastern Conference in the 2021-2022 regular season had a winning record. This past season was the first time in a long time that you could legitimately argue that the NBA's Eastern Conference was better than the NBA's Western Conference. So yeah, we can talk about the Wizards wanting to win, but win what? Right now, the realistic best case scenario appears to be winning, say, I don't know, 48 games this coming regular season and being, say, the number five seed in the Eastern Conference. Okay, then what? The Wizards get ousted in the first or second round of the NBA playoffs, and then we're right back to where we started, but only with Bradley Beal a year older and still making $50-plus per season. And remember, having the only true no-trade clause in the NBA. The Wizards at the press conference on Friday afternoon, by the way, confirmed that Beal has this no trade clause. The goal should be an NBA championship. The goal should not be 48 regular season wins and a five seed in the NBA playoffs. I hope like heck that the Wizards can find their way to NBA championship contention. But right now, it is very hard to see that way. So the Orioles made the MLB playoffs three times in five seasons, 2012, 2014, and 2016. Uh, That run, however modest in the grand scheme of things, was a much-needed run. Uh, The O's so needed that run. Uh, The O's from 1998 through 2011 had 14 consecutive losing seasons. So the run of three playoff appearances in five seasons was like a dream. For so many O's fans. But the truth is that the success that the O's had from 2012 through 2016 was a house of cards that was bound to collapse. The O's had that run of success despite the starting pitching being mostly really bad, uh, despite the farm system not being in great shape, despite the team having essentially ignored The Latin American market for years, and despite Manager Buck Showalter and Executive Vice President of Baseball Operations Dan Duquette growing to despise each other, and so when the house of cards collapsed, it collapsed hard. Uh, The O's over their final 23 games in the 2017 regular season went four and 19. The O's in the 2018 regular season went an atrocious 47 and 100. 15 In the final season of the Buck Showalter, Dan Duquette era, the complete embarrassment that was the Orioles 2018 season prompted a much needed all out unapologetic rebuild by the O's under the leadership of Mike Elias, who the O's in November 2018 hired as executive vice president and general manager. Now, before we go any further, let me make this clear. It is not mission accomplished for the Os. Uh, there still is a long way to go before the Os can declare victory in their rebuild. We still have quite the journey until the flag of victory can be planted by the Os. That said, if you are an Os fan, how can you not be thrilled by what we're seeing right now? The Os have won 8 consecutive games the O's and the Seattle Mariners are the hottest teams in the majors each team has won eight consecutive games the O's with this eight game winning streak are one game below 500 for the 2022 regular season yes the O's are 43 and 44 including 29 and 20 since their 14 and 24 start. The Orioles' eight-game winning streak is the team's longest single-season, regular-season winning streak since April-May 2005. It has been more than 17 years since the O's have been this hot. Think about that. More than 17 years. We had a four-game sweep of the Los Angeles Angels at Oriole Park at Camden Yards over the previous four days. Thursday night, a 4-1 win. Friday night, a 5-4 walk-off win. Saturday, a 1-0 win. And Sunday afternoon, a 9-5 win. As the O's were back, uh, wait a minute, back where? Oh, geez, I can't believe I'm forgetting this. Where did that win on Sunday put the O's? Uh, (laughs) I can't believe I'm blowing this. Let me think about this. Did the win put the O's in the loss column? No, that's not it. Did the win put the O's back in the tie column? No, that doesn't make sense. There are no ties in baseball. Hmm. Hold on. I think I've got it. The win. Joe Angel. I said the win. Joe Angel. Put the O's again in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. (laughs) Yes, Joe. The win column. And how about these wins for the O's? over the Angels. How about it, Joe Angel? These wins for the O's over the Angels. Uh, The O's in their 9-5 win over the Angels at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Sunday afternoon overcame a 2-0 fourth inning deficit. The O's scored four runs in the bottom of the fourth, four runs in the bottom of the fifth, and a run in the bottom of the sixth. The O's went five for 10, with runners in scoring position, and got contributions from all kinds of people. Uh Trey Mancini as the Orioles starting DH and number two batter, two for four with an RBI single and another single. If you're Trey Mancini, I don't know what you're thinking right now. The MLB trade deadline is on August 2nd. Mancini, for the longest time, has appeared to be a major trade candidate for the O's. This season is Trey Mancini's age 30 season season. This season is his final season of team control. If you are operating in strict accordance with the Orioles all in on analytics rebuild, you are trading Trey Mancini this season. But he, of course, is an ultra popular player. He has been a productive player for the O's. I don't know what's going to happen with Mancini. I would bet that he gets traded, but I think that's a discussion now, given how well the things are going for the O's, but I still would say that the O's should trade them. And I do think that they're probably going to trade them, but still Trey Mancini doing a very nice job. Adley Rutschman, the Wunderkind. Uh, he on Sunday afternoon as the Oriole starting catcher and number five batter got on base three times. He went one for two with a single and two walks. Ryan Mountcastle, Mr. Extra base hit. Uh, he is the Oriole starting first baseman and number three batter, one for four with an RBI double. As he and the Orioles 4 one fourth had a one-out first pitch RBI double. Uh, Castle now in the 2022 regular season, a slugging percentage of 491. This guy has been racking up the extra base hits like crazy for weeks now. Uh, Ramon Arias as the Orioles starting third baseman and number six batter, two for three with a two-run single and an RBI single. Uh, the O's on July fourth reinstated Arias from the ten-day injured list. He had been on that since June eleventh, retroactive to June tenth, with a left oblique strain. Jorge Mateo as the Orioles starting shortstop and number nine batter, two for four with a triple and a double. Yeah, the O's on Sunday afternoon got a triple and a double from their number nine batter, Jorge Mateo. Uh, What about what happened on Friday night? The 5-4 walk-off win over the Angels at Oreo Park at Camden Yards. What a game this was. The O's overcame a 4-2 ninth inning deficit with three runs in the bottom of the ninth. The entire rally happened with two outs. The victory gave the O's their third walk-off win in five games. Yeah, three walk-off wins in five games. The Nationals don't have a single walk-off win in the 2022 regular season. The O's through Friday night had three walk-off wins in five games. Uh, Adley Rutschman in that game, two out full count RBI double to deep right field to cut the Orioles deficit to 4-3. Uh, Rutschman in the game came off the bench. Went 1-2 for two with the RBI double. Cedric Mullins on Friday night in the bottom of the ninth. Two-out RBI single to center field on a 1-2 pitch to tie the game at four. Uh, he in that game as the Orioles starting center fielder and number one batter. Two for five with the RBI single and a double. Trey Mancini on Friday night. Bottom of the ninth. Walk-off. Two out. Full count RBI single to deep left field for the 5-4 win. He in this game as the Orioles starting DH and number two batter, two for five with that walk-off RBI single and another single. Tremendous stuff by the O's in these wins over the Angels. Uh, We had good pitching by the O's in this series. The ex-NAT Austin Voth on Sunday afternoon continued to do well as an Oriole. Uh, Voth in the 9-5 win over the Angels at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Sunday afternoon. Two runs in five innings with six strikeouts versus no walks. Uh, He gave up just four hits, a homer and three singles. He did issue a wild pitch, but Voth threw a lot of strikes. He over 76 pitches through 50 strikes versus 26 balls. How about Austin Voth so far with the O's? Eight games, including five starts, 21 in a third innings, ERA a 380. Uh, this from a guy who, with the Nats in the 2022 regular season, had an ERA of 10-13 in 18 and two-thirds innings over 19 games. The O's on June 7th claimed both off waivers from the Nats. Uh, Dean Kramer in Game 3 of this series, good for a fifth-time in six starts, uh, this off him having struggled in his previous start. It was nice to see Kramer bounce back as he did in the one nothing win over the Angels at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Saturday. Five scoreless innings, seven strikeouts. He gave up just two hits, both of which were singles. He did issue three walks and a hit by pitch, and he did throw a lot of pitches, 95 pitches over the five innings, but still Kramer now in the 2022 regular season, seven starts, ERA at 215. I mean, how do you not like that? And again, Kramer bounced back with what he did on Saturday. Kramer in his previous game, the 7-6 ten-inning win over the Texas Rangers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on July 4th, five runs in four and two-thirds innings, and the Orioles' bullpen in the one nothing win over the Angels on Saturday. Terrific. Four Orioles relievers combined for four scoreless innings with five strikeouts, uh, we had the return of Bruce Zimmerman on Saturday. He tossed a scoreless top of the six despite giving up two singles. Uh, the Oz on Saturday morning recalled Zimmerman from AAA Norfolk, though they then, uh, after the game optioned him back to Norfolk. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman, remember, was a part of the Orioles rotation earlier this season. The O's on June 16th optioned Zimmerman to Norfolk off him in a 7-6 tenning loss at the Toronto Blue Jays on June 15th, having allowed six runs. In four and two-thirds innings, Uh, that game left Zimmerman as having allowed 33 earned runs in 30 and a third innings over his previous six starts. But he was a contributor on Saturday. Felix Batista, what a performance by him on Saturday. One and a third perfect innings with strikeouts of the Angels numbers two and four batters Mike Trout and Taylor Ward. Batista's four-seam fastball velocity when facing Ward reached 101.3 miles per hour per stat cast. Felix Batista is a flamethrower, man. And Jorge Lopez on Saturday, scoreless top of the ninth with two strikeouts for the save and for a third consecutive impressive outing since giving up a home run in each of three outings over a four-game stretch. During July 4th weekend, uh Lopez, with this outing, lowered his ERA for the 2022 regular season to 174. He improved to 16 for 20 on saves in the 2022 regular season. And we on Sunday evening learned that Jorge Lopez has been selected as a reliever for the 2022 American League All-Star team for the 2022 MLB All-Star game, which will take place at Dodger Stadium on Tuesday night. July 19th. I mean, the only thing to really complain about in this series, if you're looking for stuff to complain about, Tyler Wells in game two uh, was not good for the first time in five starts. So Wells in the 5-4 walk-off win over the Angels at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Friday night, three runs in four innings. Uh, he gave up six hits, a homer, and five singles. He issued two walks. He had three strikeouts. He over 81 pitches uh, through just 49 strikes. Versus 32 balls he in the top of the third, gave up a one-out three-run homer to Mike Trout to left field, but the O's ended up winning the game. What a weekend for the O's! What a run here for the O's! Uh, the rebuild is working right before our eyes. Still a ways to go, okay? But how can you not be encouraged by what you're seeing right now if you're an O's fan? And take a listen to this: O's manager Brandon Hyde during his pregame press conference on Saturday.
4: Like a lot of our guys, they're, when you get to the big leagues you don't know if you belong and it's hard and you, sometimes you scuffle and then there's a point where a lot of these guys figure out that they can play here and that their stuff is good enough or their swing is good enough and you've get confidence because of you feel like you belong in the big leagues and I think that a lot of our guys have kind of reached that point I think Dean is on his way to feeling that because of the success he's had his last five or six starts he's shown that he can pitch in the big leagues and you know we just want our guys to continue to feel to build on that confidence um, you know I read some of you know their quotes after games and they talk a lot about confidence and that's it's true um, you know it's not an easy game Um, and the big leagues is hard. And when you're a young player, you're still kind of trying to figure it out and, you know, confidence can take you a long way.
1: Yes, it can. No game for the O's on Monday. Next up for them, a two game series at the Chicago Cubs game one, Tuesday night at eight Oh five. Jordan Lyles will be the Orioles starting pitcher game two Wednesday night at eight Oh five Spencer Watkins will be the Orioles starting pitcher. Well, if you're a Nationals fan, all that you can hope for is that the optimism that we have with the Orioles right now, we someday soon will have with the Nats. And the Nats will be a good team again. It's just a matter of when. But right now, the when uh, looks like it may be a while away. Uh, the Nats over the weekend got swept in three games at the Atlanta Braves. Friday night, a 12-2 loss. Saturday, a 4-3 loss. Sunday afternoon, a 4 3, 12 inning loss. The Nats now have lost 10 of their last 11 games. The Nats now in the 2022 regular season are 30 and 58. That is the worst record in the National League. The Nats now in the 2022 regular season have a major league worst run differential of minus 142. And the Nats now in this 2022 regular season are 7 and 33 against the National League East. The Nats continue to get punked by the other four NL East teams. You know, I mentioned the Nats having lost 10 of their last 11 games. Included in that stretch is a record of 1-9 and nine against three NL East teams, the Miami Marlins, the Philadelphia Phillies, and the Atlanta Braves. The Nats used to run the NL East. The Nats these days are getting run over by the NL East. Uh, Before we do more on the Nats getting swept at the Braves, let's get into the Nats news from Sunday evening. So the pitchers and the reserve players for the 2022 MLB All-Star Game were announced on Sunday evening. Uh, The All-Star Game will take place on Tuesday night, July 19th at Dodger Stadium. Uh, Each MLB team must have at least one All-Star. We already knew the Nats manager Davey Martinez would serve as a coach for the National League All-Star team. We now know that right fielder Juan Soto is an All-Star for the Nats, but he is the Nats' lone All-Star for this season, at least right now. Uh First baseman Josh Bell is not an All-Star, at least not yet. Uh Perhaps he'll be a part of the final vote. Uh Perhaps he'll end up making the National League All-Star team as an injury replacement. But for now, Soto in. Bell out. Now, personally, I don't get that worked up over this. Uh, The MLB All-Star Game is a celebration of baseball. I think that anyone who uses All-Star selections as a true measure of greatness uh, is in la-la land at this point. We know enough about how to measure greatness, and we know enough about how players are selected for All-Star Games to know that it is extremely flawed to use All-Star selections as any kind of a measure of greatness. You know, I think about Juan Soto, the guy is a superstar. He is by far the biggest star on the Nats. Him being in the MLB All Star game is good for the sport of baseball. And it's not like Soto is having a horrendous season. You know, he's just not having a season up to the standards of Juan Soto. So good for Soto for being a National League All Star for this season. Uh this marks Soto's second consecutive All-Star selection. But let's also make this clear. The Nats player who is most deserving of an All-Star selection this season is Josh Bell. And I hope that he somehow finds his way onto the National League All-Star team. Uh, Consider each guy's slash line for this 2022 regular season right now. Uh, Juan Soto has a batting average of .243. Josh Bell has a batting average of .304. Uh, Juan Soto has an on-base percentage of 398. Josh Bell has an on-base percentage of 386. Juan Soto has a slugging percentage of 473. Josh Bell has a slugging percentage of 491. Josh Bell has the superior slash line to that of Juan Soto. Uh, also entering Sunday, Josh Bell's wins above replacement for baseball reference. For the 2022 regular season was higher than Soto's 3.2 versus 2.9. Now, Soto's fangraphs war for this 2022 regular season uh, entering Sunday was higher than Bell's 2.4 versus 2.3. But I think if you look at everything, Josh Bell is having a better season than Juan Soto is having. But congrats to Soto for making the National League All Star team, and hopefully he will be joined by Josh Bell on that national League All-Star team. Uh, Soto did have a good series at the Braves. Uh, he was an ad starting right fielder and number two batter at all three games in the series. He went five for 10 with two home runs, three singles, and four walks. Uh, he got on base nine times over the three games. Uh, Soto on Friday night in an Nats two run third, a two out two run homer to dead center field to cut the nats deficit to 6-2. Uh, the homer went a projected 418 feet per stat cast. Soto on Saturday in an Nats' one-run third, a two-out opposite field solo homer to left field to cut the Nats' deficit to 2-1. That homer went a projected 400 feet per stat cast. Uh, Josh Bell actually did not have a very good series. Uh, He was an Nats' starting first baseman and number three batter at all three games. He in the series went two for 13 with a double, a single, and a walk. The Nats' offense continues to be a disappointment. Uh, The Nats, over these three losses, at the Braves totaled a mere 8 runs. 8 runs over 3 games and keep in mind that the game on Sunday afternoon was a 12 inning game. So really this was 8 runs over 3 and a third games. Uh the Nats over the 12 innings on Sunday afternoon, just 3 runs, just 5 hits. Think about that. 5 hits over 12 innings and 4 of the 5 hits were singles. Uh the Nats on Sunday afternoon did work 6 walks. That was good. But also for the Nats on Sunday afternoon, two for 12 with runners in scoring position. Take a listen to this from Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Sunday on the Nats offense.
2: We're not getting the ball in the air. We're getting too many ground balls, you know, and uh, we talk about it. Um, we got to start getting the ball up, like I said yesterday, and start hitting the ball in the air. Like I said, you know, there's, there's certain moments in the in the game where you you, you got to sacrifice yourself to get the runner on base, to move the guy over, you know, things of that nature. Um, we got to do a better job of doing that.
6: When well, that's a collective trend, how do you address that?
2: Oh. We we gotta keep we keep working on it. You know we we, we talk about it. We work on it. These guys understand it. And, um, we just got We just got to do it. I mean, like I said, and especially in those situations like that, where one run either way can you know could be could you could either win or lose with one run, and um, we just got to get the job done.
1: Yeah, and the Nats are not getting the job done right now. But interesting to me to hear Davey Martinez emphasize the Nats needing to do a better job of elevating baseballs. Uh, now, of course, Davey is right about that. But do you know who was considered a guru of coaching guys up to elevate baseballs? The Nats' previous hitting coach, Kevin Long, uh, who now is the hitting coach of the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, Kevin Long was the Nats hitting coach for four seasons, 2018 through 2021. He was their hitting coach in their 2019 World Series championship season. Uh, Kevin Long is very much a Juan Soto guy. Soto loves Kevin Long, uh, but Kevin Long now is gone. Uh, the Nats' new hitting coach for this season is... Is Darnell Coles now? Look, I'm sure that Darnell Coles is well aware of the importance of elevating baseballs. Okay, I mean that's a pretty widely subscribed to tenant in MLB in 2022. The need to elevate baseballs, the need to have launch angle as a part of your swing. But it does stand out that Davey Martinez on Sunday said what he said of who the Nats previously had as their hitting coach. Kevin Long is known as a launch angle guru, uh, but Kevin Long now is gone. Uh, but consider this, the Nats over 88 games in the 2022 regular season have hit just 68 home runs. 88 games, 68 home runs. The Braves over 87 games in the 2022 regular season have hit 133 home runs. So the Nats have played one more game than the Braves have played, and yet the Braves have hit 65 more home runs than the Nats have hit. The number one problem for the Nats offense this season by far has been the lack of home runs. Uh Although, as I mentioned earlier, Juan Soto did homer twice in the series. Uh Yadiel Hernandez homered on Saturday. He and the Nats, one run seventh, had a leadoff first pitch homer to center field to cut the Nats deficit to 4-2. Uh, that homer went a projected 413 feet per stat cast. And Lane Thomas hit a big home run on Sunday afternoon. Uh, the Nats lone extra base hit on Sunday afternoon was a Lane Thomas home run. Thomas in the top of the sixth, a pinch two out, three run homer to left field for a 3 2 Nats lead. Uh that was a big hit by Lane Thomas. A big hit by the Lane train. You know, with the exception of the month of June, Lane Thomas has not had a good 2022 season. But boy, did he come through in that spot on Sunday afternoon. Uh the Homer went a projected 402 feet. For StatCast. uh, the Nats 4 3, 12 inning loss at the Braves on Sunday afternoon was a wild game. The Nats overcame a 2 0, six inning deficit. As we are seeing the Nats rally with a little more frequency here lately, uh, that has been nice, but the Nats in this game on Sunday afternoon blew a 3 2, eighth inning lead, uh, and then lost the game in the bottom of the 12th on a walk off RBI single by Austin Riley on an 0 2 pitch from Jordan Weems. How about what happened in the 10th inning with Alcides Escobar? on Sunday afternoon. So Osiris Escobar, he did not start a single game in this series. He is barely playing right now. And I'm fine with that. But this really does stand out. Osiris Escobar has gone from being the Nats every game shortstop to now basically never playing. In fact, he is pitching more than he is playing as a position player. Two pitching appearances, one start as a position player since the Nats on June 21st reinstated him from the 10-day injured list. Uh, He had been on that since June 1st due to a right hamstring strain. But we did see Escobar pitch again in this series. 12-2 loss at the Braves on Friday night. Escobar pitched for a second time in four games. Uh, He and the Braves four-run eighth faced five batters, allowed two runs, and got two outs. This was the fourth time in the 2022 regular season that a position player pitched for the Nats. That's pathetic. Four times already this season, the Nats have had a position player pitch for the team. Anyway, Alcides Escobar on Sunday afternoon came into the game in the top of the 10th as a pinch runner for the Nats automatic runner, Michael Franco. Then Escobar in the bottom of the 10th as the Nats second baseman, not shortstop, second baseman uh, made quite the defensive play. And I'm still not sure if we call this a good play or a bad play, but two outs, Austin Riley on second base, game tied at three. Escobar butchered the catch of a two-out grounder off the bat of William Contreras, who was credited with a single, but Escobar then retrieved the ball and threw out Riley at home for the third out and to preserve the tie. If not for Escobar butchering the catch of the Contreras grounder, Riley doesn't try to score, but because Escobar screwed up, Riley tried to score, and then Escobar threw out Riley at home uh, again for the third out and to preserve the tie. So I guess sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Uh, But not a good series uh for the Nats in a variety of ways. Certainly not a good series for Nats starting pitchers uh in this three-game sweep at the Braves. Eric Fetty in game one got rocked. Uh Fetty in a 12-2 loss at the Braves on Friday night. Eight runs in three innings. Uh, he gave up eight hits, three home runs, a double and four singles. He issued three walks and a wild pitch. He recorded Just one strikeout. He threw 75 pitches, 45 strikes versus 30 balls. He had a very hard time putting batters away. That continues to be a major issue for Fetty. And I mentioned him giving up three homers in this game. He gave up an absolute moonshot to Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, Fetty, in what ended up being a five run brave second, gave up a one out, three run homer to Ronald Acuna Jr. on a bomb to right field for a 6-0 Braves lead, despite Acuna having been down in the count at 1.02. Uh, like I said, Fetty had a very hard time putting batters away in this game, but that home run went a projected 446 feet per stat cast. Uh, Eric Fetty now in the 2022 regular season, 17 starts, ERA of 5.01. His ERA now is above 5. Disappointing, especially given that Fetty had been good in each of his previous three outings, a 3 nothing win at the Orioles on June 21st. Fetty in that game, six scoreless innings, 3-2 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates at Nationals Park on June 27th. Fetty in that game, two runs in five innings, 7-4, 10-inning loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park on July 3rd. Fetty in that game, two runs in six innings with six strikeouts. Uh, but Fetty got shredded uh, at the Braves on Friday night. Uh, the Nats' starting pitcher in Game 2 of the series was Patrick Corbin. And this was a big test for Corbin. He had been very good in each of his previous two starts off, of course, having been oh so bad uh, since the start of the 2020 season. Uh, but Corbin in the Nats' 3-1 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates at Nationals Park on June 28th, one run in eight innings with 12 strikeouts. He pitched like an ace in that game. Corbin in the 3-2 10-inning loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park on July 4th, one run in in seven innings. But as you probably know, uh, neither the Pirates nor the Marlins are what you would call an excellent offensive team. The Braves are an excellent offensive team. The Braves entered Saturday number seven in the majors in team-weighted runs created plus in the 2022 regular season at 110. Any notion of Patrick Corbin finally getting his act together was put to the test on Saturday in facing a very good hitting team in the Braves. And the results ended up being mixed at best. Uh, Corbin on Saturday, four runs in six innings. He gave up eight hits, a home run, and seven singles. He issued two walks. He recorded four strikeouts. He threw 102 pitches, 61 strikes versus 41 balls. He didn't get hammered. You know, he didn't get shellacked, but it's not like he was great. I mean, in facing a better hitting team, Corbin gave up four runs in six innings. And, you know, that translates to an ERA of six, which, as you likely know, isn't very good. Uh, The Nats starting pitcher on Sunday afternoon, uh, game three of this series, was Paolo Espino. Uh, He was so-so. Two runs in four innings, gave up six hits. All of them were singles. He did have four strikeouts versus one walk, and he did throw strikes. Uh, 65 pitches, 42 strikes versus 23 balls. Uh, Paolo tossed scoreless first and second innings, although he over those two innings gave up three singles. Then Paolo in the bottom of the third allowed two runs. Uh, he in that inning gave up three singles, including a one-out RBI single to Austin Riley to left center field for a 1-0 Braves lead despite Riley having been down in the count at one point one-two. 2 Paolo as a starter for the Nats this season has not been as effective as Paolo the reliever for the Nats this season. Uh, Paolo Espino now In this 2022 regular season, 26 games, including six starts, 52 and two-thirds innings. He has an ERA of 342. Uh, Eventful series for the Nats bullpen. Uh, The 12-2 loss at the Braves on Friday night. Three Nats relievers in that game combined to allow four runs in five innings. Arasmo Ramirez struggled two runs in two and third innings. I mentioned what happened with Alcides Escobar pitching in that game. Uh, but also in that game was Jordan Weems being lights out two perfect innings with three strikeouts. He came into the game in the bottom of the fourth with the bases loaded, no outs in the Nats trailing 8-2, and Weems recorded three consecutive outs without allowing an inherited runner to score, including back-to-back swinging strikeouts of the Braves' numbers three and four batters, Matt Olsen and Austin Riley, on a total of seven pitches. And Weems then tossed a perfect bottom of the fifth, and this great outing by Weems came a day after he and the Nats 5-3 loss at the Philadelphia Phillies last Thursday tossed a perfect bottom of the sixth with three strikeouts on a total of 10 pitches as he nearly had an immaculate inning. That was quite the uh, two-game, two-day stretch by Jordan Weems. Uh, We then, in Game 2 of the series, the 4-3 loss at the Braves on Saturday saw two Nats relievers combined for two scoreless innings. Uh, Steve Ciszek, a scoreless bottom of the 7th, and Mason Thompson, a perfect bottom of the 8th, giving Thompson four scoreless innings with one hit and no walks. Uh, Since the Nats, on July 1st, returned Thompson from rehabilitation assignment and reinstated him from the 60-day injured list. Uh, Thompson ended up being out for nearly two months Uh, with a right bicep strain. And then we had what we had with the bullpen in Game 3 of the series, the 4-3-12 inning loss at the Braves on Sunday afternoon. Six Nats relievers combined to allow two runs, one earned in seven innings. Uh, Andres Machado tossed a scoreless bottom of the fifth, despite giving up a leadoff first pitch ground rule double to Dansby Swanson to left field. Steve Ciszek tossed a scoreless bottom of the sixth. Kyle Finnegan, one run in one and two thirds innings, but his outing included a masterful bottom of the seventh as he recorded three strikeouts on a total of just 12 pitches. Uh, a perfect bottom of the seventh from Finnegan. And the three strikeouts were of the Braves' numbers one through three batters Ronald Acuna Jr., Dansby Swanson, and Matt Olson. But Davey Martinez then had Finnegan start the bottom of the eighth, and Finnegan gave up a leadoff homer to Austin Riley to left field to tie the game at three. Uh, The homer went a projected 410 feet per stat cast. And get this, the homer marked the Nats, giving up at least one home run in each of 17 consecutive games. So I talked earlier in the segment about the Nats' lack of hitting home runs this season. Here you have a Nats pitching staff that now has allowed at least one home run in each of the team's last 17 games. Also for Finnegan in the bottom of the eighth inning on Sunday afternoon, he issued a two-out six-pitch walk of William Contreras, despite him having been down at the count at 1.02. So great stuff from Finnegan in the bottom of the seventh. Uh, Not so good from Finnegan In the bottom of the eighth, Carl Edwards Jr. then came into the game. He tossed one and a third scoreless innings. Uh, He entered the game in that bottom of the eighth with two outs, a runner on first, and the game tied at three. He issued a two-out six-pitch walk of Orlando Arcea despite him having been down to the count at 1.12, but then recorded the final out of the inning. Edwards then tossed a scoreless bottom of the ninth, despite issuing a leadoff six-pitch walk of Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, Tanner Rainey then came into the game, and he was good. He tossed two scoreless innings in extra innings. He tossed a scoreless bottom of the 10th, and then tossed a scoreless bottom of the 11th. Uh, and then Jordan Weems, in the bottom of the 12th, issued a leadoff intentional walk of Matt Olson, and then gave up the walk-off hit. Uh, walk-off RBI single, by Austin Riley to left field on an O2 pitch and the Nats lost the game. The Nats now in this 2022 regular season by the way, 1 and 6 in extra inning games and the Nats now over the last two regular seasons, 3 and 14 in extra inning games. The Nats just do not win extra inning games here these days. Uh, Austin Riley by the way in this series tortured the Nats, 6 for 14 with two home runs, a double, three singles, a walk, and five RBI. Uh, one other item from this series. I was very happy to see Davey Martinez have Luis Garcia as the Nats' leadoff batter on Sunday afternoon. Now, Garcia did not have a good series. He was the Nats' starting shortstop at all three games. He, over the three games, went 0 for 12 with a walk and five strikeouts. Uh, but at least we got Cesar Hernandez out of the leadoff spot. Cesar Hernandez is really struggling right now. Uh, he was an Nats' starting second baseman and number one batter in each of the first two games in the series. Hernandez on Friday night, 0-3 with a walk, but he got picked off at first base. Top of the fifth, he drew a one-out five-pitch walk, but he then got picked off at first by the Braves' starting pitcher, Charlie Morton, for the third out. That was terrible to see. And then Cesar Hernandez on Saturday, 0-5 with two strikeouts. He left three men on base. Uh, That game left Cesar Hernandez in this month of July 1 for 33 with a double and three walks. Let that sink in. 1 for 33. And so Davey Martinez mercifully had someone else in the number one spot for Sunday afternoon. And that someone else was Luis Garcia. Now, again, he did not have a very good series. Uh, He on Sunday afternoon went 0 for 4 with a walk and two strikeouts. But I did say walk. Uh, Garcia in the top of the seventh. Drew, an impressive walk, a one-out nine-pitch walk, despite having been down in the can at 1.12. This was just Luis Garcia's second walk in the 2022 regular season. He does not draw walks, and that is a reason to not have him in the number one spot. But he does get on base. He does generate hits. And look, ultimately, being the leadoff batter, being the number one guy in the lineup, is about being a good batter. How do you be a good batter? You be a good batter by getting on base. Well, Luis Garcia does get on base. He just does so via the hit as opposed to the walk. But it's funny, in this game number one for Luis Garcia, in that number one spot, he ends up drawing a walk. Again, just his second walk in the 2022 regular season. Here was Davey Martinez during his post-game session with reporters on Sunday on how he felt about Luis Garcia in the leadoff spot. He,
2: he walked he just got you know he's got good pitches to hit I mean he um he's just got to like I said with him he's just got to get the ball up I talked to him before the game about not trying to you know take get your walks and just go up there and hit but get the ball up look you know look for fastballs like he always does um he had some balls to, to, to hit you know um hit a hit ball hard shortstop today but he did walk um but you know I, I kind of liked it yeah so um you know we'll, we'll give it a whirl here for a while and see what happens
1: All right, so hopefully we are going to see more of Luis Garcia in the number one spot. Uh, Luis Garcia, though, did have more defensive problems in this series. He, on Sunday afternoon, in the top of the first, made a poor throw on what was a one-out first pitch infield single for Dansby Swanson. Uh, Garcia made a backhanded catch of a grounder on the shallow left field grass and then across his body made an off-balance throw that pulled first baseman Josh Bell off the first-base bag toward right field. And then Garcia on Saturday in the Braves' two-run fourth committed a throwing error on a one-out full-count RBI infield single by Eddie Rosario for a 3-1 Braves lead. The ball was hit to Garcia as he crossed behind the second-base bag, and he, in throwing across his body in this predicament uh, to first base, committed a throwing error. Uh, Throwing issues. uh, Those seem to be the biggest item for Luis Garcia in terms of his defensive struggles. Uh, No game for the Nats on Monday. Next up for them is a two-game series against the Seattle Mariners at Nationals Park. Game one Tuesday night at 7.05. Josiah Gray will be the Nats' starting pitcher. Game two Wednesday afternoon at 12.05. Eric Fetty will be the Nats' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at AlGaldi. You can email me the AlGaldi podcast at yahoo Tuesday show episode three hundred fifty four will feature plenty on the Commanders, and I'll have a special guest to talk Capitals, Caps Insider Tarek El Bashir of the Athletic. Uh, we'll go in depth on the Caps as NHL free agency will begin. This Wednesday at noon Eastern is a big move coming for the Caps at goaltender. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday.
4: Let's not
2: like make folks wait. Let's not drag it out, Jason. What's the uh, what is the new team name, Doug? What is it? We are the commanders. <laughs> we are the commanders. The commanders. The Washington commanders. That's right. Uh, oh, wow. You don't waste any time there. There it
4: is.